0: This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. We promised on last week's program that we would spend more time today dealing with our boilerplate, I guess you would call it, usual way we start the program, which is, after delving into this day in history, we generally like to throw out a quote, a quip, a joke, a stat, some good news, and an anecdote. Last week we did none of that, so I think what we're going to do for today's program is to devote pretty much the entire third segment to things that would fit that category. Miscellaneous stuff. Now it so happens that this correspondent is ramping up to move. My environment in Sacramento is under siege. Evil real estate developers are getting what they want, along with sports team owners. I'm speaking, of course, of the Sacramento Kings, who have managed against all common sense to knock down a lot of the downtown in Sacramento and build a sports arena, which will benefit them, the owners of the Kings, and the politicians that they bought off, and I suppose a smattering of knuckleheads that actually like to go watch professional basketball in the guise of the Kings. But as I'm digging through my home in preparation for putting it on the market in the months to come, I discovered all kinds of old books and funny stuff and trivia books and the like, which uh, are going to be perfect for our third segment today, I think. Stay tuned for that. I had a lot of fun on last week's program talking about uh, the efforts of Michael Lewis and Doug Kenny, respectively. One, a contemporary writer who put together what has become the the big short on the silver screen, in addition to his uh, book of the same name. We are going to strive to talk about uh, those efforts, but it won't be in today's program. We're just not quite ready even yet. And although I want to talk more about uh, the efforts of the legendary Doug Kenny, uh, today's probably not the day to do that either. I'm just going to take a running leap at the material which has been compiled for this show, as it's usually compiled for every show, and just tear through it. But to avoid going off on a very lengthy digression as I did on last week's program, I think I will jump right now at this juncture into On This Date in History, which today consists of the 4th of February. That's been a tradition on this program to point out every year that February has two R's and both are pronounced. Let's start off with one I did not know. It was on February the 4th, in the year 1795, that France abolished slavery and conferred citizenship upon those formerly enslaved. I was not aware that they got on board so early. Good for the French. On this date in 1826, American novelist James Fenimore Cooper published The Last of the Mohicans, perhaps the most famous of his Leatherstocking Tales all of which inspired Mark Twain's later work, The Literary Offenses of James Fenimore Cooper, which is one of those fall-down funny pieces of literary criticism. This date in 1941, Roy Plunkett patented tetrafluoroethylene polymers, better known to you as Teflon, a substance used to fabricate nonstick cookware, but which is currently raising some questions about its safety. On February 4th, in 1974, in Berkeley, Patty Hearst, a 19 year old granddaughter of American newspaper magnate William Randolph Hearst, was kidnapped. She eventually joined her captors and was eventually arrested and imprisoned. All right, we're going to have a quote and quip fest in the third segment. We do need to address the good, the bad, and the ugly now. note that it was a good week this last week according to the week magazine for the scandinavian way after a survey by transparency international found that the least corrupt countries in the world are denmark finland and sweden in case you're wondering somalia and north korea are judged the most corrupt it was conversely a bad week for the haitian way with the news that haiti has postponed its presidential runoff The vote, which was due to take place this last week, was canceled at the last minute after anti-fraud protests turned violent and electoral offices were torched and the highways blocked with burning tires. It seems the demonstrators were angry at reports of massive vote rigging during October's first round election in favor of Jovenel Moise, who is President Michel Martelly's hand-picked successor. Apparently his rival Jude Celestine called the proceedings a farce and refused to campaign in the second round. The factions are evidently now trying to negotiate an interim government and that will maybe someday schedule some new elections. Oof. And that was an ugly week last week for The Chinese Way, with the news that the official in charge of releasing China's economic statistics is now under investigation for potential corruption, which is throwing further doubt on the state of the country's slowing economy. Wang Baoan was placed under investigation just days after we assured investigators and the media that Chinese data was, quote, genuine and reliable, unquote. As I recall, that's what they told us about our financial data here in the U.S. Right, right before and during the meltdown a few years back. The Week noted that it's unclear whether Wang's removal will lead to more accurate data. And I think it's fair to say that it was both a bad and ugly week last week for Russia when the results of an inquiry led by High Court Judge Sir Robert Owen were released. These results were rather explosive in that the 2006 murder of former KGB agent Alexander Litvinenko, who defected to the West and became a fierce critic of Vladimir Putin, and suffered an agonizing drawn-out death after radioactive polonium was slipped into his tea. Well, after years of review, Sir Robert Owen noted that uh, based on the considerable quantity of secret intelligence he reviewed, the killing was carried out by two Russian operatives, Andrei Lugovie and Dmitry Kovtun. They met with Litvinenko in a hotel and apparently left a radioactive trail all around London. Owen's investigation concluded that the murder was probably approved by Putin himself. Now, one thing I hadn't realized that one factor that got Litvinenko into a lot of hot water with Putin was the fact that he claimed that Putin was a pedophile. And Although I missed it, evidently Putin had just made global headlines over a bizarre incident in Red Square where he had lifted a five-year-old boy's shirt and kissed his belly. In a blog post, Litvinenko had said the behavior wasn't surprising because Putin had been caught on film making sex with some underage boys while he was a student. Well, we can't address those latter claims, but the fact that Litvinenko was clearly murdered and, well, you or I just really couldn't get our hands on polonium-210 without some high-level connections. Undoubtedly, the same was true for Lugovi and Kovtun. But what struck me about this story was that the first reports of it came to me by watching RT, Russian television. Now, we've complimented Russian television in the past on this radio program because some of the reporting we've seen there is pretty good. It is, after all, pretty easy to point the finger at the wrongdoing of others and uh, provide accurate reports of same. But when it's your own misbehavior that's uh, being looked at, or in this case, misbehavior by officials of the Russian government, well, the RT channel just doesn't quite look as reliable. In fact, in that first report that I saw, they were downplaying this ridiculous idea that these men had murdered Litvinenko. At that point, they fingered a third uh, possible agent, who was some Italian that no one's ever heard of, but hinted strongly that the investigators really ought to look at that guy, which frankly reminds us of O.J. Simpson's real killers. Let's do a little bit of follow-up. We mentioned the mysterious disappearance of five Hong Kong booksellers over the past few months. And it's being looked at by people in Asia as possibly, well, the death knell for a publishing industry that's been operating out of Hong Kong. For decades, a small group of publishers and bookshops in what's called a semi-autonomous region of China have made a decent profit by selling books on topics considered taboo by Beijing. But apparently they crossed the line at this point. Evidently, when uh, someone planned to publish a book on President Xi Jinping's alleged extramarital affairs It is widely acknowledged that these abductions are clearly aimed at silencing critics of the Chinese authorities. Not to say that you can't get in trouble here in America by criticizing people in power. We refer you to the story surrounding Jane Meyer, whose book Dark Money, The Hidden History of the Billionaires Behind the Rise of the Radical Right, uh, details what the Koch brothers have been up to. Evidently, Meyer first raised the Koch's ire with a 2010 profile in the New Yorker. And has now put together a case that the Kansas industrialists have deployed their riches and those of like-minded billionaires to essentially hijack the nation's political dialogue over the past 35 years. We would like to also refer you to the New Yorker's new radio program, which comes via the production staff of WNYC in New York, that uh, spoke with Jane Meyer and talked about what efforts the Kochs made to silence her. This is worth giving a listen to, dear listener. Of course, from the cuckoo department, uh, (laughs) we have to cite the reaction to uh, Jane Meyer's book from the Wall Street Journal, which rather predictably said that the anger in that book isn't justified, saying that authors who argue that rich people can buy elections don't get much support from history, (laughs) which we just have to say, they don't? And you know, we are still dying to, uh, to read more from uh, the works of Michael Lewis, but we're, we're going to put that off, you know, like I say, again, another week. We want to do it right, and we want to synthesize that with Matt Taibbi's appearance at the Mondavi Center last night. But talking about the, uh, the intersection of money and politics in this country, we would like to cite a piece by William Cohan in the New York Times who noted that nearly eight years after the onset of the financial crisis, its unintended consequences continued to startle NMAs. Who would have thought that even as big banks paid nearly $200 billion in fines to federal and state governments, not a single top Wall Street executive would be held personally responsible for the wrongdoing? Or, for that matter, that the likes of J.P. Morgan Chase and Wells Fargo would have year after year of record or near-record profits? in defense of Wells Fargo, we do have to point out to Mr. Cohen that they did not misbehave like the other big banks. But Cohen does note that these days, too-big-to-fail banks not only are thriving, they have less competition than ever. We really do need a reality check on this. And speaking of reality checks, how about the fact that climate change deniers are uh, apparently not convinced by this news that 2015 was the hottest year ever, despite the fact that NASA and NOAA confirmed... Couple weeks back, that uh, well, this in fact was the warmest year on record for planet Earth. And if you're keeping score, 15 of the 16 warmest years in NOAA's 136 year history have now occurred since the year 2000. Hello? What do you bet that 2016 is going to break the record and prove to be the hottest year ever? I wouldn't take that bet. Although Phil Plate, writing in Slate.com, is making that prediction. Phil, by the way, is a noted skeptic. He writes the Bad Astronomy column and did appear on this program some years back to debunk some dumb ideas that are out there. You know, I think we probably need to take about four or five minutes to just run the table on some other bad ideas. And by the way, when we label this stuff bad ideas, you do need to keep in mind that that opinion, like all those heard on this program, does not necessarily reflect that of um, KDVS, our sponsors, or the University of California. We always put the word necessarily and we do the disclaimer because Radio Parallax takes the position that the sun rises in the east. We like to believe that in that instance, we do accurately reflect the opinion of KDVS, our sponsors, and the University of California. It's just that you can't count on it. All right, I've been sitting on this horrible op-ed piece to the Sacramento Bee since December 19th, written by Naomi Friedman which attempts to stake out the position that people who are making an effort on college campuses, particularly on UC campuses, to consider divestment from Israel, are simply being labeled by Ms. Friedman as anti-Semitic. She writes in the piece, As many students know, anti-Zionism and anti-Semitism go hand-in-hand at UC today. But the administration seems unable to respond to the growing new anti-Semitism that is directly related to the BDS movement. BDS referring to efforts to boycott, divest, and sanction. Friedman says, many parents, myself included, have no intention of spending thirty to $60,000 a year to send our children to a college where they will be bullied for being Jewish or pro-Israel. Well, we at Radio Parallax don't see it that way. Efforts to hold the government of Israel accountable for some of its activities is not the same thing as being anti-Semitic. Speaking of spending a lot of money to get an education, we'd like to cite a couple of letters that were sent to the Sacramento Bee in the wake of their article on uh, how a bill was going to cap UC non-resident totals. To Mary Assad, I wrote in to say, it's really important that we put a cap on the number of non-residents in the UC system. As a high school senior waiting to hear back from colleges, it's worrisome to think that UC is increasing the amount of non-residents over-residents just because they pay more. I want to be able to go to school in my own state, not be beat out by the highest bidder. Sounding a similar note was Samuel Bronchini, who wrote to say, The University of California's trend of continuously placing more value on generating revenue from out-of-state and international students than that of students from the state remains to be a preposterous and counterintuitive plan. By effectively funneling out local students merely for greater revenue, the UC is thwarting its ability to educate Californians. Why Leave Those in Your Own State Behind? That piece was titled, The UC is in California, Right? All right, other miscellaneous bad ideas. We note that um, at the beginning of February here, which is Black History Month, HBO, or I don't know, one of the premium channels, is apparently putting on a dramatization of the trial of O.J. Simpson. Airing that on Black History Month would be kind of like maybe airing a special on the Nuremberg trials while you're trying to celebrate the history of the Germanic peoples. By the way, we've done the disclaimer, so I do want to mention the fact that Radio Parallax takes the position that Mr. O.J. Simpson was guilty as sin. To contend otherwise requires belief in an incredibly elaborate conspiracy of law enforcement to plant Mr. Simpson's DNA at the crime scene and the DNA of both victims back at his house. As John Dean told us in this program when we spoke to him many years back, we like to concentrate on the conspiracy theories that are real. Sometimes the real ones can be huge. Take the 2008 financial meltdown, which is chronicled in the big short. For a thing that crazy to have happened, there had to be a conspiracy of all kinds of people who were just simply looking out for their own narrow interests. Was it criminal? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it sure was. As we just mentioned in that Cohen article, did anybody go to jail for it? Well, Actually, apparently one guy did. Compare that to Iceland. I think at last count had put 26 of their financial crooks behind bars. Iceland, a country of 300,000 people. Anyway, we probably need to take a uh, short break. So let's do that. When I come back in our second segment, I'm going to try and do some science topics and keep this thing on the up and up. But there's a lot of dumb stuff going on that I think we're just going to have to mention, like it or not. All right, I'm Douglas Everett. This is Radio Parallax. Let's pause for a moment, but you, you stick around. man who leads a lot.